Hello, everybody, and welcome to another thrilling episode of Views on View. My name is Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today with me on the panel, I'm flying solo again after last week's episode with Luke Diebold. And today I have a very special guest. His name is David Neal. How are you doing, David? I'm doing all right. Good. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So there's a little bit of background. I had heard David's uh, story a little over a year ago on another podcast uh, about his uh, foray into drawing and art. And as a developer who is very much a developer and not an artistic bone in his body and who couldn't draw to save his life if he had to, I found it very fascinating how he sounded like he was similar to me, but got into it and is actually very good and publishes books of drawings now. So I thought it would be an interesting interesting story for all of you to hear. So to start out, David, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, why you're famous, and uh, we'll go from there. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share my story. And my name is David Neal. I've been a software developer since the 90s. I got on, you know, started building web applications pretty early when uh, the web started to take off. And for years, that's that's all I did pretty much was build web apps, classic ASP, ASP.net, a lot of Microsoft stuff. And somewhere along the way, I started working from home and I one thing led to another and I, I ended up getting involved in the developer community and I wanted to give back and wanted to get involved through some encouragement, started doing some speaking. And I've been active in the developer community for over 10 years now. And as a, I guess to kind of lead into the, the story, I found a way to engage audiences through drawing. Excellent. So before we get into the drawing part of things, I'm always interested in hearing the technology backgrounds and tools and and stuff that you've used along the way. I started like you. I started probably in the late 90s coding. My initial coding was in VB6 inside of Microsoft Access 95. And then with the web stuff, it was front page 98. <laughs> I took over a website and someone was using front page. And then I learned MySQL and, and PHP from there and spent a lot of time in PHP. And then that's morphed into JavaScript and Vue and, and other tools. So I'm curious to see what tools did you start out with? You mentioned ASP and ASP.net, obviously. Yeah. And do you still do a lot of Microsoft stuff or using a lot of open source stuff or what's your, your tools of choice these days? Yeah, so pretty similar start with web programming. I had been doing Pascal and C and some other 
languages before then, but started using Visual Basic Mm -hmm. and was helping folks before ASP came out. I was helping folks write macros, engineers with Excel macros mm-hmm. and VBA. And so that, that was yep. my introduction into Visual Basic. Yep. And that led to me doing some apps with v- VB3 and VB4. Oh, wow. Uh, That's way back. Okay. <laughs> five and six. And yeah. somewhere around VB6 is when I, I started building some web apps using, well, I, I started learning with front page as well. I, I think somewhere in the mix there, I was playing around with front page and then visual studio visual interdev which was a ide around that time of, of vb6 so i started using that to create asp web apps and there came a time you know i was learning some javascript and or jscript at the time i there was a, a popular website back then that james shaw was running called cover your cover your asp.com and he all of his examples used jscript instead of vb script and that was very intriguing to me because i was learning javascript and thought well this would be a way to kind of learn the language better is just kind of force myself to move away from vb and start using jscript and then i entertained the idea of jumping to java i started looking at the java language and i liked the syntax Kind of that similarities there with, with JavaScript, at least in syntax wise. And as I was learning, I was going to some events like uh, uh, Microsoft Tech Eds and things of that day. And I went to the Microsoft Professional Developers Conference the year, I think it was 1999 or 2000. It was the year that Microsoft publicly announced the .NET framework and the, and C sharp. And I, I I was just very fortunate to be there for that event. They gave everyone that that went to that conference a little book called Presenting C Sharp. And being the nerd that I am, I went back to my hotel and I read that book start to finish. And I fell in love with the C Sharp language. Uh, it It was probably a year or more before I could actually get my hands on Visual Studio and start to actually use C Sharp. But once once I had it, there was no looking back. I started really working with ASP.NET from that point forward. And so for many, many years, ASP.NET and C Sharp were my go-to stack of tools, uh, SQL Server uh, on the back end. And I worked for a number of startup companies and different things in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And so I helped when I started getting involved in the developer community, I helped run and manage the .NET user group in Nashville, Tennessee. I did that for a few years. And somewhere along the way, I started really, Node.js came out and every time, you know, I was still building a lot of web stuff. I was still doing a lot of JavaScript as well as C Sharp. And when Node.js started to become popular, I would take a, a little time to investigate it and, and come to the conclusion, oh, it's, it's, it's not for me or it's not ready for me yet <laughs> kind of thing. But when they started to add support or the open source community started to create some things like uh, SQL Server clients for Node.js, that's when I finally started to take notice and like, well, I, I could actually use this now because I can use it with my, my favorite database. Node.js then became my primary platform somewhere around 2013 or 14. And that's that's been my pretty much my focus ever since. 
I didn't rage quit net. I'm still a Microsoft MVP. I still am, am involved in the in the Microsoft community. I like to help folks any way that I can, and I still keep tabs on you know some of the .NET stuff. But for the most part, I use Node.js and other JavaScript things on top of that. So you're primarily what you would, I guess we would call you a backend developer then, dealing on server server side code. Yeah, that's been a, a lot of my focus. Many of the startup companies that I work for. I was a, a one-man band, so to speak, and had to wear a lot of hats. And so I did, you know, I did what people call full-stack development for a long time. And so I had to, like, when jQuery came out and I was able to use jQuery to do a lot of stuff on the front end, yep. that was amazing. And I still love it. I mean, it, it, sometimes I'll, I'll go back and play around with some jQuery, and it's still as awesome as it always was, and you can do some fun things with it. But yeah, for, for the most part, I was full stack, but my sweet spot was definitely back end. So have you delved, have you, you mentioned full stack. So when you've done front end, what kind of, when you've had to do that out of necessity, what, uh, what were your tools of choice or, or not of choice as the case may be? Yeah. For years, let's see, before React, there were things like Backbone mm-hmm. and Marionette with mm. Backbone. I use some of that. React came along and I the company I was working for at the time decided to adopt React, so I, I used that for for several years, but it never quite clicked with me. I didn't really care much for Angular or some of the other. You know, I'd take surveys every now and again, like play around with Aurelia or some other front end framework around those. You know, back in the day, but when Vue came out, that one really did click with me. And anytime I do front end work. It's just not all the time, but, you know, I'm working on some projects right now that have front-end stuff that I'm building. My go-to is is Vue. Well, that's great considering this is a Vue podcast. And, you know, yeah. in full transparency, <laughs> when I invited you on, I did not know that. I had, It was your story that I was really interested in. So it's it's quite fascinating to to hear that that you also use Vue when, when the need arises. Um, yeah, I I'm came up through the, through the Drupal world myself and got in through AngularJS and then moved over to Vue later when Angular did their whole rewrite. So uh, that's that's yeah. fascinating to hear your steps there. Yeah. All right. So with that, let's get into your drawing story uh, and how uh, you mentioned how back, I don't remember when you said it was, in time frame, you were getting involved as a speaker in the yeah. development community and you started speaking. And if I remember correctly, that was sort of the impetus for getting into the drawing. So how about you start there and and tell us how that evolved? Yeah, so around 2011, someone finally encouraged, you know, speaking, public speaking, being able to get up and give a talk at a conference or an event was something that I always wanted to be able to do. Even back in the 90s when I would go to events like the Microsoft Tech Eds or, or whatever, I really admired folks in the developer community who had the courage to to get up and share their experience or teach uh, what they were what they had to, to teach. And there were a few kind of heroes that I, I looked up to that were really good at speaking that I thought, man, I wish I could do that someday. So fast forward to 2011, I've been involved in the .NET user group. I was sharing with someone how I was doing something with ASP.NET using REST APIs, I forget all what I was doing at the time, but but they said, "Hey, you need to sh- you need to give a talk on that. You need to share that." I'm like, "No, I don't. I don't want to do. It. No, you really need." And and they they wouldn't let it go. They 
they said, I'm going to put you on the calendar and you're going to give the, the presentation in like two months or something like that. So since I was on the hook, I did it. And I, the first time I got up to speak, I was so nervous and it was awful. You know, it, it was the stereotypical, really bad <laughs> presentation. I, I fumbled all over the place and, but the encouragement that I got afterwards really just, I don't know, really sunk in or, or something made, I, I wanted to do more of it. I wanted to get, I wanted to get better at it. And so over the coming years, I started applying to speak at other user groups and to speak at conferences. And each time it was such a struggle to, to actually do it. But I would, you know, once I went through with it, I, I felt great. And it was really appreciated the positive feedback I was getting. And I remember it might have been 2012 or so. I was at a conference in Louisville and the guy, you know, I was going to other people's talks, trying to learn what they were doing. You know, like I want to be a good speaker. So I was trying to learn from other speakers who I admired and try to reverse engineer any, any good stuff that I found, you know, that other speakers were doing. And one speaker got up and was giving a presentation and he had this cool cartoon character that he used throughout his presentation. And I thought, man, that is so cool. That is so fun. And so I asked, I met him after his talk and I, I said, what, you know, did you draw that? He says, no, I bought these or I commissioned the artwork from a friend of mine. And he said, you know, each illustration costs like $50. And I'm thinking, oh, I can't, I can't afford that. <laughs> I can barely afford to go <laughs> to send myself to some of these conferences. It just seemed like I was kind of disappointed. It was like, oh, oh, I, I don't want to spend money. <laughs> I just, I just want to be able to do that. And so that planted a seed. And a couple of years after that, I think it was the beginning of 2015, I had already done hundreds of talks by that point. I had gotten better as a speaker and I, you know, I thought my presentations were fairly entertaining and engaging, but I felt, I just felt like I wasn't getting the engagement that I thought I should be able to get. People thought I was a good speaker. They gave me good feedback, but I just didn't feel like anybody was walking away from my talks going, oh, I am so fired up to, to do that or to try that. I just wasn't getting that kind of reaction. So I was feeling burned out and about ready to hang up the hat for a while, maybe take a year off or something. And But I couldn't let it go. I started doing research on how I could be a better speaker. And I came across a video on YouTube by Dan Rome. Dan Rome was giving a presentation at Google on his book called Show and Tell. And this 45-minute presentation makes the case that very simple illustrations, and I'm, I'm saying so simple, they are literally lines, arrows, shapes, and stick figures. He made the case that you can communicate far more than you can with uh, bullet points and photos and anything else you might put on a slide, and you can be far more engaging. And I I watched this guy's presentation I think four or five times because I was just blown away at how how awesome it was and and the and the drawings really resonated with me. And I was working for a a Kanban software company at the time where visualizations were that's the key to the product is being able to visualize 
your work. And I thought, well, th- that makes total sense to visualize what you're trying to communicate very specific way through some simple drawings. That would be far more useful than me having a stock photo up on the screen, you know, and, and trying to crack jokes about whatever uh, the topic that I was talking about. So, yeah, 2015 was the pivotal year for me. I, I found uh, Dan Rome's video. I bought his book called Show and Tell, and I made the commitment that the next talk I was going to give, I think I'm, I'm, I set myself a goal of like, I'm going to draw five of my slides, something like that. And I had a an old iPad and a cheap $5 stylus, and I downloaded some drawing apps on the iPad and found one that, that I could somewhat understand. And the drawings that I created were absolutely terrible. They were stick figures and lines and arrows and shapes and stuff. But I, through that, those, those objects, those simple objects, I was able to tell a story in a way that I'd never been able to tell before. And when I gave that first talk, by the way, I, I blew past five slides. I ended up drawing almost every slide in that presentation. I couldn't stop. I just fell in love with it. Uh, you know, once I realized, you know, just how powerful it was and how it enabled me to to give a presentation exactly the way that I wanted to, I couldn't stop. So I drew almost every slide in that talk. And when I gave that first talk, I knew within the first 30 seconds that it was a game changer. The audience was far more engaged and, you know, I could tell that they were really connecting with the story I was telling. So if I could interrupt real quick, uh, mm-hmm. what... So this is, I'm assuming these are some sort of deep tech talks, right? About Node.js or something like that. Is that correct? Well, this particular talk was not a, a very technical talk. It was a, a talk that was around the subject of managing software projects using Kanban. So it was a, it, it lended itself kind of to giving a visual story of like, here's, you know, here's, <laughs> Here's what work looks like when we don't use Kanban. Here's what it looks like when we do use Kanban. And I was able to tell some funny stories, personal stories through these illustrations uh, to make points and to tell, to talk about the history of, of Kanban and, you know, all these kinds of storytelling I was able to do through illustrations. What kind of, so what were these drawings of, like Kanban boards or illustrations for your stories or what yeah, exactly some of them were you were, illustrating? Yeah, some of them were silly illustrations like, you know how in, in Agile, one of the practices is like creating user stories. You'll like write a story on a on an index card. Well, I drew a very crude index card and I I drew, you know, hand lettered on the index card, something like, you know, as a user, I want to run with scissors. <laughs> you know, some, something, something funny like that, yeah, you know, that's and great. And and that's what came up on the screen and people just ate it up. So I'm talking about the the challenges of of agile practice and some of my personal stories around how I became involved in agile and what I what I've learned along the way. So yeah, there was there was one uh, illustration that was like a very crude whiteboard with some you know to do doing and done lanes on it with you know some squares to represent sticky notes and it was all very poorly drawn, but that was kind of the charm too. Even even though the drawings were terrible in the sense that I didn't know what I was doing and you know <laughs> couldn't draw very well at the time, it was still entertaining 
And then later on came the challenge of, well, now that I know how to do this, now that I can see that it's so powerful, how do I apply this to my technical talks as well? And so I started out by just doing a mixture of any time that I could, I wasn't showing code, I would just adding a simple, silly face or a, a drawing of a rocket ship or whatever onto the screen. So instead of using any kind of clip art or photos, I forced myself to, well, how could I, how can I draw this <laughs> that, you know, to represent this, this idea that I'm talking about? Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So yeah, so as somebody who has attended many tech talks and watched slides, I can, you know, attest at least for myself personally, they art, some sort of art, is definitely more engaging. You know, other forms that I've seen from speakers are GIFs or GIFs, you know, don't want to get mm -hmm. that debate raging or, you know, memes or photos or something like that. So yeah, when you're in the middle of a dry tech talk, then the art certainly does, does a lot to spice things up. So you started throwing those in and how did you, how did you know or note the engagement? Is it like just looking at people's faces that you're talking, you can tell that people are interested and nobody's dozing off or falling asleep? Is it comments afterwards, all of the above? It, it was absolutely all the above. I could tell just from people's expressions and the smiles and the engagement with the, the topics and the stories I was telling that it was far more engaging. And then I had folks coming up to me after I started doing these talks who just gushed about how much they enjoyed it or, or they would ask me, did you do those drawings? And, or, you know, how did you do this? And folks asking me, you know, Hey, I, how can I do this? How can I start doing this same kind of thing uh, for the talks that I give or presentations that I'm, I need to give at work? Or do you think I could apply what you've done to some of the boring meetings that I, that we have at, at my, in my office or something like that? So the, just the feedback one way or another was just over the top compared to the three or four years prior to that. The engagement that I got from that moment forward has just been exponentially higher. So how much time did you put into drawing and learning to draw on a regular basis? I'm assuming this is, wasn't just, hey, I'm going to draw this one time. Oh, that looks good. I'm done. You, you definitely have your own style as I look at, you know, your art and things you put on Twitter or your, your book or so on. So drawing like that, especially for a non artistically gifted per person is, and I, maybe that's not true about you. I don't know. I just know it is for me. 
but uh, that's got to take a decent amount of time and practice. So I'm curious, how much time did you put in? What tools did you use? Did you use like pen and paper? You mentioned that you had an old iPad with a cheap stylus. Was it all electronic stuff? How did that all work? Yeah, I well, first of all, I, I pretty much stuck to electronic and have since. Um, I dabbled a little bit here and there with physical mediums of uh, pen and paper, you know, sketchbooks and, and things, but I keep coming back to using an iPad. I think it's a great drawing experience. But for folks who are starting out, you could use something like uh, you can buy a lap size whiteboard, like a lap board, and use dry erase markers and sketch some things out and take photos and add those into, you know, like a digital scanner app on your phone and import those into your your slides. That's That's a really cheap alternative to getting stuff into presentations. I I couldn't tell you how much time I ended up spending on that first presentation. I know I know I was still like in the hotel room the night before I gave my talk, I was still drawing. I couldn't stop. I I just fell in love with it right away. And even though the the drawings were were terrible, I I had so much fun. And yeah, I I wondered if folks would get it or not. I wondered if folks might make fun of some of the stuff that I created. So there was some apprehension and anxiety there of like sharing <laughs> these, these things in the wild. But I was like, I'm, I'm going to go for it, you know, based on what I saw in Dan Rome's presentation in his book is like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be art. It just needs to be iconic and, and look like the thing that you're talking about. That's, that's all that matters. It doesn't have to be beautiful. And like I said, you know, even the fact that it was terrible was added to some of the charm and entertainment. But once I did that presentation and I had fallen in love with drawing, I knew that it was something I wanted to continue doing, but I had to have an excuse to draw. I didn't, it's not like I'm creating a new presentation every week. So I decided to, to adopt a learn in the open kind of attitude about it. And I committed, I kind of set a goal for myself, like I'm, you know, every week I'm going to try to draw one thing a week. Uh, I'm going to set set aside some time and try to come up with a clever, funny idea. I remember like drawing a, you remember the, the old Visa or MasterCard commercials where it said, you know, it's everywhere you want to be. Yes. Well, I drew a parody of that that was JavaScript that said, you know, JavaScript, it's everywhere you want to be. and it was a terrible drawing. I posted it on Twitter and got a lot of laughs and, and feedback. And so Twitter and other social media became like my accountability partner for creating these drawings. I would come up with something about once a week and post it on Twitter and get get positive reinforcement from social media to keep do, getting better. And um, I don't know how much time I've invested in drawing over the last six, seven years now, but it has been a, a joy that I didn't know was waiting for me. It's it's become, you know, quite a a wonderful hobby. And, and one of the cool things I found was, you know how in programming, when you get in that zone, it's like you're you're deeply focused, you're you're coding, you're um you, you wake up on the other end and you're like, what happened? You know, <laughs> the day's gone. I forgot to eat you know, kind of feeling. Or the right? night's gone and it's time to get up and go to work or something like that. <laughs> right. 
Well, I found that when I was drawing, I got that same feeling. And that was part of the, you know, the the encouragement or the the creative rush is that when I was so focused on reverse engineering this, my programming mind is thinking, well, okay, here's an image or here's something I want to draw. How can I decompose or reverse engineer this photo so that I can create something that's recognizable? <laughs> With the tools that I have and the, and the skills that I have, how can I, how can I create a drawing that's going to remotely resemble, you know, this object or, or this idea, this concept. And so when I would get into those moments, I found that I was able to get into that creative zone faster and deeper than, than even, you know, some of the programming I was doing. So you mentioned Dan Rome. Yeah, his book, Show and Tell. So in terms of your technique and learning how to draw better, has it, has your learning been mostly from trial and error? As you said, learning out in the open, have you like used other books and, you know, tips on how to draw better from different people? Uh, what's been your, your, I guess, your source or sources of tips on how to do it better? Yeah. Aside from watching a few tutorials on YouTube, uh, just to get some vocabulary and understand what folks were talking about when it, when it comes to using terms like values and, you know, shading and some, some techniques. Aside from that, I'm pretty much 100% self-taught, and it has very much been a trial and error kind of thing. And it's been learning the tool, the, like the apps that I use, and learning how to, you know, be really a, a power user of the of the applications and use that to my advantage, and learn like the you know the experimentation and and learning some some new things. Like early on, I figured out without anybody showing me, hey, I can use layers inside this drawing app to compose a drawing, you know, these stackable kind of images so that, you know, if I need to make a change, I'm not totally messing up, you know, some other part of the illustration. I can I can just redo or, you know, refactor one layer, you know, to use engineering terminology. I can refactor one layer and, and the other ones will, will still be the same. And I figured out how to do that, like with shading. Like, there's a there's a pretty simple way of adding 3D shading to a an illustration that doesn't involve coming up with any new colors. It's 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 just using a mask or uh, a layer on top of that that is multiplying uh, gray on top of that that layer. And uh, I would go and you know maybe watch a YouTube video like, oh, well, they're you know they're kind of doing the same thing. I figured it out on my own. This is cool. So when you started out, did you start out just in black and white and then start adding colors later? Do you start using colors right off the bat? I, I started know. using, yeah, I started using colors off the, from the beginning, but I discovered that as I got better at drawing and my, my skills got better, my, my techniques got better, I found that I didn't have to be very technical with the drawings. In fact, the simpler, the better. And what I found was I went through this kind of arch of of like trying to get better at drawing and trying to make more complicated or more illustrative or artful pieces, and then realizing I I don't need to do that. In fact, for presentation purposes, black and white are really all I need, and that is visually much more 
There's a lot more contrast there. It's visually more remarkable, I think. It gets people's attention because there are there's no color. I may like have an entire presentation that's black and white and then maybe have one or two slides that have color in them. And that makes those slides really stand out in the presentation. And one of the reasons for that is I think visually when you're presenting to an audience and there's this projector screen, the screens are unpredictable how what quality they are. And usually they're terrible quality. I found that, hey, if I'm presenting code, if I'm doing any kind of live coding, it's actually better to have black text on white background because of the higher contrast. Because if you try to use a dark theme for a presentation, depending on how how good the projector is, it's probably not going to be very readable, right? So I'm I'm a big fan of making things as high contrast and as visible appealing as possible. And I think black on white is is a safe bet. And so all the talks that I've been giving in recent years, that's been my go-to. Yeah, I can speak as someone who's given talks and seen talks. The dark theme just doesn't work. <laughs> it's just way right. harder to read, especially if you if you're in a room, say, where the lighting's not really good or there's issues with the the screen or the projector or something like that. Yep. The, the black and white is the cleanest and, and best for seeing your code for sure. Yep. So we talked about how you got into the drawing and learning the open and using Twitter. Now let's talk about dad jokes. Uh, I, I have a slight reputation for, for the dad jokes. <laughs> and I know that you have the illustrated book of dad jokes that uh, you can find on your site. So how did that come around? Have you always been like a dad joke fan and and just found this as a way to combine your two interests or is that a later <laughs> interest or how does that work? It's kind of a later interest, but you remember me talking about like the the JavaScript is everywhere you want to be. Yes. You know, I would I started creating a lot of puns and, you know, programming related jokes in that vein and had a lot of fun with that. So over time as I started creating more and more of these kind of parodies or puns uh, visual puns, I started adding them to my my presentations, uh, usually at the beginning, like, you know, a lot of times you're you're giving a talk, you're, you know, you get everything set up and ready to go, and there's still five or 10 minutes before your talk starts, and you're just standing there looking awkwardly at everybody, and, you know, everybody's looking awkwardly at you, and feeling self-conscious and all that, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to put some of my jokes here that, you know, some of my my number one hits from from Twitter and put those in my slides and just cycle through them before my talk starts. And that that really was a home run. You know, folks really, really love that. I people I'd see people, you know, taking pictures of the screen or and tweeting them, seeing folks laugh and, and everything. So that that was really encouraging. So I continued to do that. It, whenever something would hit me, I would think, hey, you know, I'm going to turn that into an illustration and, and post it on on social media and see if anybody thinks it's funny. And I can't remember, like, like a couple of years ago, I did a 30-day challenge to myself to do, like, I'm going to, for 30 days, I created a a quote, like a inspirational quote and, and illustrated it. You know, so things like Martin Luther King Jr. or C.S. Lewis or you know, some of the past presidents or, or, you know, any kind of quotes of wisdom that folks know. And I would like try to create an illustration with that. So I did that for 30 days. I stuck to it and was able to accomplish it. And what I found was at the end of that 30 days, I kind of had this 
a little bit of a leg up on, you know, it forced me to think about ways of drawing that I hadn't thought of before. Because I would come up with these ideas like, well, how do I do that? How do I come up with an illustration that goes with that quote? And uh, it kind of forced me to learn. So last year, at the beginning of 2021, and I don't remember why I, in the first place, I wanted to do dad jokes, but it seemed like the easiest thing to do. Oh, I remember my son, one of my sons gave me a dad joke calendar. Yes, I have one on my desk. And when I read the, the first day, I was like, oh, I could draw that. You know, that would be a lot of fun to draw. And so I had this idea at the beginning of 2021 that I would draw a dad joke every day. And my initial goal was every day for the month of January, I would draw a dad joke. And I was pleased when I accomplished that goal. And I, and, but the feedback was so great from folks that I felt like, Hey, what if I could keep going? How long could I keep this up? And so one month turned into two months. And, you know, by the time I'm getting into March, I'm thinking this is this has got <laughs> momentum. I can't stop now. I, you know, I got to I got to do this as long as I can. And, you know, how, how long it could it be possible to keep up a streak of one year drawing something every day for a year? I didn't think it was possible. Like I, I felt like something was going to come up, some kind of event that I was speaking at or travel that I was going to have to do, that something was going to happen and was going to interrupt where I couldn't publish something every day. But the long story short, I somehow managed to do it. I drew a dad joke every day, 365 illustrations for the year of 2021. And throughout the year, people kept saying, well, when are you going to <laughs> create a book? When are you going to publish these? Are you going to create a calendar? Are you going to, you know, lots of different ideas. And I, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd love to do that. I don't know if I can do that or not. So this year, after sitting idle for a few months, I'm thinking, well, Father's Day is coming up. And it sure would be cool to turn these illustrations into a, a book. And uh, it was it was quite a challenge. But uh, I was able to go the self-publishing route through uh, Kindle on Amazon and create a, a color book and Kindle version of, I, th- I think I took, it's either, yeah, I think it's 250 out of the 365 that I drew. I picked the 250 that would fit the book format and turned that into a book. Yeah, my foray into the dad joke sort of had a, a similar start. I think I've told the story before, but I was at a very, very large company doing doing uh, development. And we used to have a stand-up meeting every day, you know, sort of the pseudo-scrum type of approach. And at the end of every meeting, my boss would say, does anybody have any words of wisdom? And nobody would say anything. So one day I started piping up and saying just, you know, some stupid words of wisdom or something. And so I started (laughs) like looking uh, for a while there. Uh, Pinterest had some decent ones. Uh, And then I'd Google over the internet and I'd find some and and share those. And everybody loved them. You know, I'd get laughs in in the group. Yeah. And after a while, it was harder and harder to find, you know, quote unquote, words of wisdom tips, you know, that would have some sort of humorous. Yeah. And that's always a requirement. Just the straight ones are boring. Yeah. One of my favorites is uh, when I die, I want to have an open casket funeral, but or excuse me, a closed casket funeral. But halfway through, I want the organist to start playing Pop Goes the Weasel over and over till pretty much everybody's staring at the casket, wondering (laughs) if I'm going to pop out, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. (laughs) I did one where I said, next time somebody uh, 
comes up to you and asks you, if you're at a store, you know, and an employee comes up and says, did you find everything uh, you needed? You should say, no, are you hiding things? And, and so <laughs> one of my coworkers said, there's a lady at Costco that does to me every time. I'm going to say that ne- to her next time. And yeah. <laughs> it turned into that. So pretty soon, you know, I've always been one for the puns or the, the one-liners or the, you know, the play on words. Uh, right. S- Stephen Wright is to this day, my favorite stand-up comedian. If you know who he is. Yeah, I uh, sure do. Incredibly uh, dry no smile, no raising yep. of the voice, one-liners. <laughs> and I would love to throw some of his out. Like, you know, one of the best ones I can do is if I'm sitting in a group and, and my foot falls asleep, you know, because I'm sitting weird or something like that. I'll say, man, I hate it when my foot falls asleep during the day because that means it's going to be up all night. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then pretty soon I started thinking, oh, look at the, uh, start telling the dad jokes. And so I have a number of sources like on Instagram or Twitter accounts, or I have a dad joke calendar as well, <laughs> you know, sitting in front of me in one of those little square desk calendars. And so I just started telling whenever the day and I started posting them on Twitter and Facebook. You know, I'm one of the older people that still uses Facebook occasionally. And I would get people coming up to me in places like church or other places. Dude, I love the dad jokes. Those are so awesome. They yeah. make my day every day, you know. And then I started doing them in Slack at work. We the organization that I work, company I work for now, we started out as I was in, literally employee number three and we had about four or five. Well, then we got bought by a larger organization. And so we had a new Slack room, uh, you know, organization for the larger company, GovExec. And there's a random uh, room and a lot of places will have a random, you know, just to chat right. about whatever goof around. So I started posting a dad joke for the day in there and I'd get, you know, responses. And then one week I was gone on vacation and didn't have access to the Slack channel. And and I came back and there's a message in there that says, am I the only one that misses Steve's dad jokes every day in here? <laughs> you know, <and laughs> yeah. some guy pops up and says, yeah, my dad died a long time ago. And these dad jokes remind me of him. And I was like, wow, yeah. talk about having a big impact just by sharing a little bit. Of oh, you, yeah. You know? So, so yeah, when I saw, I was looking at your Twitter and I saw that, I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, that's uh, that's a great way to, to get a little humor out there. And, and people, yeah. people ask me if I, if I write my own, <laughs> I say, no, I'm not, I'm not quite that skilled. I have my own sources, so I don't, yeah. I don't when it's on a wild tongue in cheek, I'll say, yeah, I write all my own jokes. Didn't you know that? Yeah. But uh, it's funny. What's even better is when it inspires other people to start doing the same thing. So we're in our random room at work. Other people have started coming in and, and adding jokes and stuff too. So yeah. it's, it's just sort of a fun thing to do. And then I started about a year ago, I started telling some at the end of, of the podcast with picks and it's just a fun little thing. Yeah, but it well, sure can I, add a lot. Yeah, I experienced a lot of that too last year as I was doing these jokes. I was hearing from folks who were taking the illustrations that I was posting and sharing them on Slack channels and and different things at, at work or with their family. One dad says, told me that uh, he looks forward to my dad jokes every day so that he has something to share with his kids when they get home and loves getting the the eye roll <laughs> from his kids and. And that's part of what fueled me to keep on going was hearing feedback from folks like that all all throughout the year saying how much, you know, what an impact it had made on them and how they were sharing it with other people and families and coworkers. And it was, it was just really cool to, uh, to see that. Excellent. So is there any, anything else we missed? Anything to discuss on your, your drawing journey? Well, I will say that one outcome of the drawing the dad jokes, committing to doing something like that 
on a regular basis improved some of my skills tremendously. I could see over that the course of that year, at different points throughout the year, I could look back at, say, the, the previous three months or whatever and see a difference in the quality of the drawings or the quality of the lettering or the lines or just how I was doing certain things. So that that year, I learned a lot. And I've become a real believer in this idea of practice. To, to, to use a, an overused quote, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a, a single step. It's commitment to doing a little bit of practice on a regular basis. And it may not seem like you're making much progress, but over time, you'll look back and go, wow, I can't believe how far I've come. And it could be, you know, five, 10 minutes a day. And you can apply that to so many things. Like we're all beginners when it comes to something. You know, anytime you pick up a new com- computer language or you're trying to learn a new skill, you're trying to learn, you know, hey, I want to be a, I want to learn how to play guitar or I want to learn how to speak a new language. It's going to be painful at first. It's going to be hard and it's going to be hard to, to push through those, those feelings of like, I'm not getting anywhere or this is really hard or I'm just, it's just not working. But if you stick with it, and you commit to doing a little bit of practice on a regular basis, you know, it doesn't have to be every day, but some kind of commitment, you're going to make progress. And over time, you'll, you'll be amazed at how far you can come. Well, yeah, I think, and I think probably an important part of that, based on my experience, is the feedback, you know, can help you, it gives you incentive, I guess. It's like, you know, say you go on a, you want to go on a diet, you want to lose weight, you want to lose 20 pounds or whatever the number is. And so you're, you know, modifying your food intake and you're exercising. And if you go through all that and you don't see any weight come off, you get discouraged. Now, this doesn't work. I'm going to quit. But if you see the weight come off and you see that improvement, you see the results, then yeah, yeah, that's going to give you more incentive. And so, you know, when you're doing this out in public and people are saying, hey, this is awesome. I love it. Or even if I would, you know, I guess it's going to depend on the person. Even if you yourself notice, hey, I'm getting better at this. I can do it quicker and I can do it better and my pictures don't look so stick figure like, then, you know, that's going to give you the the incentive as well, for sure. So, all right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you for that, uh, that history and that story. Uh, I find that hearing success stories like that sort of uh, motivates people to want to try the same thing, even if it's not the same thing that you're doing, you know, it motivates yeah, them I sure to, hope so. to, to follow their own thing. I, years ago, I had followed a dream pursued a dream for quite a while for a particular job. And I finally got one of the jobs. And I was working at a large software company at the time, and or a medium-sized software company anyway. And so the word had gone out that, hey, you know, C is leaving because he got such and such a job. And I had a lady who worked on my floor uh, in a related department. I happened to see her in the lunchroom one day, and she said something to me. She says, I know that seeing what you did is going to cause more people to follow their own dreams or their own goals too. So, yeah. so yeah, your story is definitely one, especially for me, one of those, I don't know if you call it a bucket list item or I guess the list of things I would love to do, but I just haven't taken the time to do drawing and being able to be artistic is yeah. certainly one of those for sure. For sure. Yeah. It, for, so for so long, I would see other artwork. I could appreciate it. Like I, you know, it really resonated with me. Anytime I'd see somebody who could create uh, some cool illustrations. I remember years ago, there was a, a designer 
that worked at a software company who was like creating stickers and T-shirts. And I thought, man, that is so cool. I wish I could do that. And and now I'm creating T-shirts for Pluralsight and, and stickers for Pluralsight. I'm created swag and shirts and other things for different conferences. If you go to, uh, say, Connect Tech in Atlanta, is a, a pretty cool conference. All their <laughs> illustrations and artwork, I, I did that. And that, it's like hugely rewarding to be able to see some of the uh, results of, of this these years of practice that I've been, you know, this journey that I've been on to, to see folks not only, you know, appreciate the work that I do, but, but actually use it and enjoy it. It's been hugely rewarding. Excellent. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, so with that, we're going to move to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we get to talk about other things that may not be tech-related. In the past here on this show, we've had children's books and foods and TV shows and movies and adult books and anything else. So we'll let David go first. What do you have for picks for us? Anything? Yeah. So even if you're not interested in getting into illustrations for the purpose of like giving talks or creating content for one of the things you can do that is still extremely powerful is to take sketch notes, doodle on your notes. Like if you're taking notes during presentations or you go to a talk or you watch a talk online, if you use illustrations as part of your capturing (laughs) notes, it will help you to learn. It'll help you to remember. You can go back and look at some of those doodles and things you've done on paper, and it may sound silly, but you can remember and recall much more information that way. And so I, I highly recommend checking out a book called The Sketchnote Handbook by Mike Rode. It's a fantastic introduction into how you can just using the, the skills that you have, using the pen and paper or whatever your preference is, start to take more illustrative and artful approaches to taking notes and um, helping that to retain and, and learn things. Outside of illustrations, I'm I'm a fan of guitars, music. I like to eat bacon. I like to drink coffee. So if we if you want to talk about any of those those topics, I'm 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 game. Eating bacon, coffee. Is there a particular brand or type of bacon that you that you like, or are you just sort of a bacon generalist? Well, my go-to. I appreciate lots of different kinds of bacon, but my go-to, like everyday kind of bacon for me, is uh, Wright's W R I G H T. They used to make. I don't think they do anymore, but they used to make a pecan smoked bacon that was my favorite. Ooh, that sounds good. But the applewood is is still pretty solid. I did a uh, bacon challenge a few years ago, and the bacon challenge is you eat nothing but bacon for 30 days. Good Lord, my arteries are screaming just listening to that. I know. It sounds crazy, right? I lost 18 pounds eating nothing but bacon (laughs) for 30 days. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so opposite of what you would expect (laughs) from hearing something like that. Well, it's, it's basically like low carb or keto type diet. I was I was cooking about four pounds of bacon a day, <laughs> and uh, so I found lots of different ways to to mass produce bacon, different formats. And somebody asked me, 
lots of people have asked me, like, didn't you get tired of eating bacon? That was my question. Nope. No, not at all. Bacon's awesome. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how much you have of it. It's still awesome every time. Oh, my gosh. 30 days of eating nothing but bacon and you lose 18 pounds, huh? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Now, one of the most interesting places I've run into in my journeys, if you happen to find yourself in Denver, Colorado, there's a, used to be just one of them. I think there's two or three of them now, but it's called the Bacon Social House. And it's a restaurant that pretty much focuses on bacon. So it, there's bacon drinks, bacon desserts, bacon meals. Uh, you can order a flight of bacon, which, you know, they comes out on this charcuterie board, like six different kinds of bacon. It's it's really amazing. Wow. You are quite the bacon connoisseur, I have to admit. That's quite impressive. Quite impressive. So Wright's bacon is the, is the, the go-to bacon of choice, huh? Yep. Uh, for cooking purposes, one of the most popular is, man, I'm, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, Benton's bacon. It's a very famous bacon. It's made in Tennessee. Chefs use it all over the world. And it's it's so strong. It's it's very salty. It's very it's uh, a lot of smoke uh, flavor. So you can't really eat it by itself. It By itself, it tastes like you're eating a piece of charred meat that came from a barn fire. <laughs> but when you cook it in stuff like an omelet or you know some some other dish that that calls for bacon, it is very very good. Now, what's the brand of that again? Bittens. Benton. Oh, Benton's bacon. Benton's yeah, gotcha. Benton. Okay. Benton's bacon. All right. Yeah, we'll put the links to that in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Those are some definitely some good picks. I like that. And uh, why don't why don't football players wear glasses? I don't know because it's a contact sport. Yes, yes. Wait, oh, dang it. I missed the, missed the opportunity for the uh, rim shot, but we'll give you a delayed rim shot here. Thank you. Thank you. As somebody who wears contacts, I can appreciate that very much. <laughs> and now that it's football season, a very timely joke, shall we say. Yeah. Okay, my turn. So speaking of dad jokes, as we have, I will uh, share my dad jokes of the week. So, you know, a common topic among that you've heard among women is uh, how painful childbirth is. You know, it's one of the most painful things you can go through in your life. And you know, they've said many times that childbirth is the most painful thing anyone can experience. Maybe I was too young to remember, but I really didn't think it hurt that much. <laughs> <laughs> and so not too long ago, I was looking for a gift for my wife and for, you know, like a birthday. And so I went to the department store and I asked the clerk, hey, how much for that uh, funny looking spray? She said, perfume? I said, no, per bottle. And then finally, this one's sort of a meaty joke. What do you give to a cannibal who's late for dinner? The cold shoulder. Oh, man. That's yes. great. That's, isn't that good? Yeah. So, yes, those are the dad jokes of the day. Nice. So with that, we will wrap up. David, if people want to see your cartoons and buy your book, they want to give you money or accolades, uh, where can they contact you? Where can they see your stuff? Yeah, best place is my website, reverentgeek.com, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T-G-E-E-K. And I am Reverent Geek everywhere. So if you, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram yeah, or GitHub, any, any of those, I'm, I'm Reverent Geek everywhere. On my website, you can find some technical stuff. You can find portfolios of some of my illustration work. And you can find a link to my book and order some stickers. I also draw avatars for folks. So Ooh. some caricature style, more illustration profiles, 
style. I can do uh, lots of different things. So I've been doing that for years. I've, I've even done avatars for entire teams, conferences, things like that. So if you're interested in a drawing uh, for your avatar, hit me up. Oh, I might take you up on that. I have a little uh, avatar that I use everywhere on my Twitter and, and I use it in Slack and everywhere that I just made up years ago on uh, faceyourmanga.com, I think was what it was, because I saw another developer that had one. I thought, that's cool, but I might have to hit yeah. up for an avatar. I could use an update. It still shows me with uh, a goatee that I don't have anymore. But uh, anyway, all righty. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for telling your story. I love the story and I'm sure that many other people will as well. And that will wrap it up for this episode of Views on View. We will talk to you all next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.